uh, today, you might have guessed this um, from the verse that's up behind us, but we're going to be spending a bit of time looking at, at Psalm 51. Uh, so if you've got a Bible, you might want to open it there. And at the center of it is this wonderful verse, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. If you weren't here last week, um, I'd really encourage you to check out John Bernard Carlin's talk from last week where he was speaking about um, this theme of identity. And one thing that John talked about was this sort of message that that comes towards us through our culture, something that he described as a a cultural narrative um, and what the theologian Tim Keller describes as as the be yourself narrative. And the idea is that you know, only you can determine the person who you are. Only you can look inside yourself and discover who you truly are. It's our right, it's our destiny to do that. Um, and not to be told by the world who we are, but to figure that out for ourselves and then declare to the world, this is who I am, this is me. And the thing that, sh- that struck me as, as John shared is that One of the reasons why this this story is so compelling, one of the reasons why this idea um, forms the plots of so many of the books and the films that we um, consume and the songs that we sing, is that I think it is half true. Our identity is embedded within us. But I think the problem is that that this cultural narrative only encourages us to, to dig so far, to look so deep inside of us. And, and, and if, you look, if you hear John's talk, one of the things that he does is he digs a little bit deeper and we see that actually a level below some of our aspects of our identity, you know, belief, our, our gender or our age or our sexuality or uh, our ethnicity, beneath these things, our identity is ultimately defined at the core of our being by the God who created us. We bear his image his fingerprints are like all over your DNA. And so he defines us from the, from the inside out. And over the last few weeks, that phrase, inside out, has been sort of just running around my mind. I sort of feel like, as I was preparing for this, I felt like there's, there's, there's these words, it's almost like a prophetic word, inside out is what I want to talk about today. Um, and it's been running through my mind um, on a personal level, for, for a, it was a bit of a theme of 2018 for me, in a way, um, because I'm going to share with you something quite private and personal, and that is, last year, 2018, was the year that I got rid of uh, a, a fungal toenail infection. <laughs> okay? And I know that's a little bit gross, um, but for a few years now, I've had this sort of brown, crusty sort of infection on both of my um, left and right big toes. And if you've ever had one of those, really annoying, you have to get this sort of um, stuff and paint it on your toenail day in, day out, over a prolonged period of time. And to be honest, I've never really had the discipline to do it. But last year, I knuckled down and um, I, I had this experience of seeing a fresh new toenail sort of like grow from the inside out. Um, to the point where now, apart from like just a tiny little bit of discoloration at the tip of my toe, I have the toes of a young boy. And uh, <laughs> gosh, so ra- if somebody just walked in at that moment, they'd be like, "I'm not coming to this church." Anyway, it strikes me that so often 
that's how God works in us. He heals us, he restores us, he cleanses us. Um, He's not content to work at a surface level. He works from the inside out. Um, And I've got a story that's just a really good example of this. Um, A guy who's part of our small group who did Alpha just over a year ago, and he got baptised last year. One Sunday last year, he heard John speaking about, um, about money, about giving, and, and he found himself wrestling in the following days with, with this whole concept of tithing and generosity, and he had mixed feelings um, about you know, churches seemingly asking for money. But as he sort of prayed about it and dwelled on it, he began to consider what giving and what generosity might look like for him personally. And in the midst of that, he received some income, some extra income, and he found himself praying the prayer. Um, he said, look, God, I've got this money. What do you want me to do with it? It's a good prayer. And um, in that moment, he found himself reminded of a situation that had happened um, 20, 17 years ago where he was um, one night in his adolescence, he and some mates got drunk. They'd, got in, they'd broken into a church, and they just trashed, like vandalized the place. And, um, and he found himself sort of contemplating contacting this church, which was down south somewhere, and saying, look, you know, I'm sorry about that, and offering to send them some money as a way of, of saying sorry. And despite his brother telling him, look, that is a stupid idea, and if you get arrested, it's your fault, he ended up contacting them. And the pastor immediately assured him that he was forgiven, and the church would, you know, gratefully receive that donation. But then what happened next? When he started to try and send the money um, via the bank or whatever, uh, mysteriously, he had lots of problems getting it, getting it to go. And so um, the pastor invited him to come down and deliver it in person. And he said, also, why don't you come on a Sunday and uh, just share your testimony to the church? And so he ended up going down there. He said, it's just a bizarre situation. Um, but it turned out to be an incredibly profound moment for him and that church because you see there were people in the church who remembered the vandalism all those years ago. There was one woman who who recalled how a display of flowers that had been um, a memorial to her lost son had been strewn around the room and for her it was a moment of, of profound reconciliation. She was you know extremely glad to be able to extend her forgiveness to him. And others recalled the protests of some of the um, kids in the church who had turned up the next day for their kids' group. Um, but then it, they, they, instead of doing that, they'd been roped into helping clearing up. And then they'd been told to sit down and pray for the people that did it, much to their sort of, you know. Um, but a few, this like a church of a few dozen people, they took enormous encouragement in the fact that their prayers that day had been heard and answered. I just thought it was a really cool story. And can you see that pattern from the inside out? As he began to think, his personal journey of exploring faith and pursuing Jesus eventually flowed out into his actions and then into the lives of other people in a beautiful way. And it kind of reminds me of of the psalm that I said we'd look at today, Psalm 51, which... um, if you've got your Bibles, you might want to open it. We understand that um, David, the, the king of Israel, wrote this 3,000 years ago. And he wrote it in a moment of repentance. It was after he had had um, an affair with a, with a married woman called Bathsheba. And he got her pregnant. And he'd eventually um, killed 
effectively killed her husband to cover his tracks. So, you know, this, is not, this was not a bit of minor vandalism. This was adultery and murder. But in the same way, this psalm is about sin. It's about repentance. It's about forgiveness and healing and transformation. And we see that all of those things, they flow from the inside out. So let's read some of the psalm together. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Now, there are so many things that you could say about this psalm. But um, this morning I've got two simple thoughts that I want to share. And so here's the first. Clean from the inside out. I remember um, once in, uh, saying something really hurtful to a school friend. And um, being the emotionally mature adolescent that I was at the time, I didn't feel like actually saying sorry was a realistic option for me. So I just went to the corner shop and bought him a Kinder Egg and gave him a Kinder Egg. And um, to my shock and surprise, the Kinder Egg somehow didn't seem to fully resolve the matter. Um, And, you know, perhaps some of us men will have had similar experiences in the past with bunches of flowers in that regard. And if anything, it seemed to make things worse. And it was only later when he sort of blurted something out to me that I, that I kind of began to understand. He said, I don't think you can buy my friendship with Kinder Eggs. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, that when we know we've done something wrong, we do everything that we can to avoid actually saying that word, sorry, don't we? Um, in the words of Elton John, sorry truly does seem to be the hardest word. And then if we do say sorry... Um, we make sure, don't we, that we cite all the external factors um, as a way of you know, making sure that everyone understands why we did what we did. So we say, you know, I'm sorry I did that, but, but I was tired, you know, or I was hungry, I was frustrated. Um, I'm sorry, but everyone else was doing it. I'm sorry, but I thought it was my bar of dairy milk. I'm sorry, but he was being annoying. 
or she was pushing my buttons. We say, I'm sorry I did that, but maybe if you hadn't have done that. I think, I can't remember who it was, I think it was Joyce Mayer said, when we're apologising, we have to ruin it by sticking our big butt in there, don't we? (laughs) And most of us do it because apologising is an uncomfortable thing to do. It's far more comfortable to pretend that, um, you know, everything was just actually a consequence of what was going on around us. And I think one of the things that's so striking about this psalm, when you, when you read it, is that with David, there are, there, are no, there are no buts in there. It's just full disclosure. He says in, 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 in verse 4, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and you're justified when you judge. And these are really... You know, when you think about the fact he was a king, these are humble words for a king. And, and David, in truth, he could have cited lots of external factors. You know, it was a complicated situation for him. He could have tried to validate his affair with Bathsheba by saying, look, you know, there was a war going on. I was really stressed about it. And, you know, look, I opened my sort of bedroom window and there's this beautiful naked woman taking a bath on the rooftop outside my house. You know, give me a break. But he doesn't, he doesn't point to any of those factors. He just goes in. He says in verse 5, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. I think David really understood that, that whilst temptation works its way from the outside in, sin ultimately flows in the opposite direction. And this is something that Jesus talked about centuries later um, in Matthew's Gospel, um, chapter 15, verses 19 and 20. He said, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. This week I, um, I met a guy who, who's not part of, the, part of a different church, but he's at the moment he's um, beginning to lead in church settings. And um, it, through his faith in, in Jesus, he has really started to rebuild his life from a past that was um, really characterized by addiction and crime, stints in prison, And he said to me, you know, I grew up in a really rough area. And a lot of people, you know, blame, would say that's why I did what I did. But he said there came a point where you have to take responsibility for the choices that you make. If you read um, in the Old Testament, you'll know that um, after humanity first rebelled against God and sinned in the Garden of Eden, um, sin sort of began to fill the human race and eventually God gave the people this system of laws um, that served as a as a means of um, of giving them some means of expressing repentance um, through through situations where they knew they'd sinned by by sacrificing by making sacrifices sacrificing animals and it was kind of a, it was a flawed system in a sense because it pointed towards the need for something more it pointed towards the need for Jesus to come and sacrifice himself But in that time, it gave them a means of expressing repentance. But the problem was that for so many humans, they they just misused that system. And they they tried to use the sacrifices as a way of of replacing heartfelt repentance altogether. You know, a bit like just buying a kinder egg to say sorry. It was a bit like that, only they killed livestock instead. So slightly different. But David, who, who grew up in that system and in that culture, in the aftermath of this, his worst moral failure, he understands that that isn't going to be the answer. In verse 16 and 17, he says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. 
You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. David, he realizes that this is not, you know, this can't be explained away as an external problem with an external solution. He realizes this is an internal problem and it requires an internal solution. And so he cries out this prayer in the middle of the psalm. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And I love that prayer. It really strikes me that David, he lived centuries before Jesus came. He knew nothing about the cross. He only ever saw a part of God's plan unfold in his lifetime. But he knew enough about human nature and he knew enough about God to know that his heart was flawed in a way that couldn't be fixed without divine intervention. He realized, I need to be cleansed. I need to be purified from the inside out. And so I, I think embedded within this prayer, there's a longing for the gospel. Centuries before Jesus came, he realized, only you can do this, Lord. Only you can save me, clean me. I need to make a fresh start with you. And for us in 2019... The amazing thing is that because we have, you know, the rest of the Bible story, because we know what Jesus did, we have the knowledge that David's prayer has been answered for every single one of us. In, in, in later in, um, in Paul's letter that he wrote, for example, to the, Roman, the early churches in Rome, he shares this, this vision of how Jesus has emphatically answered David's cry. It says, but now, apart from the law of righteousness of God that has been made, um, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. And then he goes on to explain that, yes, all have sinned, every single one of us, but all, doesn't matter whether you're, you know, um, Jewish or Gentile, which basically like, I mean, everybody has been justified by what Jesus did for us on the cross. And he concludes by saying, this isn't something that we can earn in our actions. It's something that we receive by faith. One of um, Jesus' closest friends, John, he summed it up by saying, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. When we come to Jesus at the foot of the cross, we are made clean from the inside out so that we might live from the inside out. Um, this prayer that David prayed in the middle of this psalm, creating me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Um, I read a few um, commentaries um, about what they said about that passage and there seemed to be a consensus that, that when he prayed that, those words, this plea for a new heart, we can understand it kind of in two ways at the same time. In one sense, um, it's a request for kind of like an instantaneous heart transplant. It's asking God to do something, to, to start afresh, a bit like the, the fresh start that we receive when we come to Jesus um, at, for the first time at the foot of the cross. But we can also understand this prayer as a prayer, prayer for, a, for a sustained and ongoing renewal of our heart very much like the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as followers of Jesus. 
So David isn't just asking, clean me. He's asking, clean me and, and help me to stay clean. Stay with me. Help me live the life that you, that you designed me for. And I think um, when you think about David's life, it's really understandable that he would pray this, this particular prayer because uh, years before, David had emerged as the king of Israel um, in, in the courts of his, of his predecessor, King Saul. And um, Saul, if you, you can read all about his story in, in 1 Samuel, Saul was a really gifted leader. And, and at the start of his reign, God had given him a new heart. It says that God gave him a new heart with which he could lead his people. But what happened over the years, and this was what David saw and experienced, was that over the years, Saul's heart became polluted by insecurity and by pride. And David had to watch him sort of turn away from God's guidance. Um, and he had to watch as the Holy Spirit withdrew from Saul. And it was a really sorry tale. And it caused David considerable anguish, anguish to, to watch it. And so I suspect that's perhaps why this life experience prompted him to pray this prayer in, in verse 11. I don't think this one will come up on the screens. But David says, Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. And I don't know about you, but I think anyone who's sinned can resonate with that prayer to some extent. I mean, hopefully you're sort of, you know, better behaved than I am. But I don't know, if you, have you ever done something that's made you think like, oh man, that was bad. Surely this time I've blown it with God. You ever had that moment, you know, perhaps where you've sinned and then you've repented and then, you know, you've done it again and you think, oh man, I sh- I, perhaps I've worn out his patience this time and surely this is the time where God's going to say, that's it, you, you know, you're on, you're on your own. We think, how can I, you know, how can Jesus still possibly see me as righteous after, after that? Maybe I need to give my life to Jesus again to make sure I'm kind of all, all good. And of course, we don't have to do that. In, in the letter of um, Hebrews, we read that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was the perfect sacrifice, the one-time sacrifice for all sins. And as followers of Jesus, as, as like I said before, as recipients of the whole message of the Bible, including the New Testament and what we read about Jesus, um, we read that, that we, might, we, we, we don't need to fear, as David did, that the Holy Spirit would ever leave us. Um, Jesus assured us that the Holy Spirit will, will be with us as followers of him forever. Jesus promised, he said, I'll ask the Father and he will give you another advocate, the Holy Spirit, to help you and be with you forever. He said that in chapter 14 of John's Gospel, verse 16 and 17. So there's this cast iron promise from Jesus that the Holy Spirit will, will never leave us. And that means that his, his presence is an assurance that of, of, of his saving work in our life and also his willingness to, to transform us. And so, so perhaps what we do need to pray when we know we've done something wrong is as David prayed in verse 12 of this psalm that God would restore to us the joy of our salvation and grant a willing spirit in us to sustain us. Because this is a prayer that God has as, as, as promised to faithfully answer the Holy Spirit. He promises to, to fill us, to sustain us, and to continue to transform us from the inside out. And along the way, he uses 
these moments of repentance in our lives to transform us. You know, this word, repentance, I think sometimes it gets a bit of stigma because we tend to associate repentance with, with shame and tears and drama. And, and sometimes repentance can be emotional and, and dramatic. But, but in essence, all that repentance really means is to turn one, away from one thing and towards another. And in this context, it means specifically to turn away from something that isn't good for us, sin, and to turn towards something that is good for us, God's will for our lives. And so, as I properly understood, repentance is not something shameful. It's actually something that's just really good for us. It's responding to the inner voice of the Holy Spirit within us. And so it's not just something that we, it's, it's not just something that we do you know, the first time that we give our lives to Jesus. And, it's, and nor is it something that we can only do in a sort of a dramatic moment, like coming up down the front here and, and all of that. It's an everyday part of our, of our walk with God. You know, when you think about it, it's part of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus encourages us to do it daily. And it's part of our, it should be part of our prayers together. It needn't be dramatic, but it does have to be sincere and it does have to flow from the inside out, like all good apologies do. And as we've seen, and as I think we see in this psalm, it's those moments of repentance that God uses to transform us, like I've said. But that transformation takes time. It's a sort of an ongoing job in our lives. You know, as I reflect on my life, I realize that, you know, sometimes my life does look a little bit like my crusty nail did last year. You know, there's evidence of healing. There's evidence that something's changed. There's evidence that I have a new, evidence of new life coming through. But that brown, crusty bit, you know, you can see it's getting smaller. You can see it's been defeated. You can see it's not part of my future. It's part of my past. But it hasn't vanished. And I don't know if you would sort of resonate with that in, in your life. I think probably most of us would, because the reality is sin is part of our lives. And perhaps as I share today, you know, there are perhaps specific things, maybe things that you've said, things that you've done, parts of your life where you know that, you know, what's going on inside doesn't really match up what goes on outside. And we have a choice, each of us, whether we, whether we, baggage, whether we carry that around like baggage inside of us or whether we, you know, get that from the inside out and get rid of it and shed it and ask, as David prayed, for God to, he said, the words he uses is, renew in us the joy of our salvation. Because, because when we do that, something wonderful happens. And we see that story unfold in this psalm. David says, then, in verse 13, I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. You know, when we, when we, when we have that joy of our salvation renewed in us, um, it starts in here, but it's not intended to be a private treasure. It's, it's intended to be something that just spills out of us into the lives of others. Like the way it did, that guy went back to that church to share what had happened in his life. It flows from the inside out in order that others might be blessed. And um, 
Again, I've got a really great story of, of that dynamic working in someone's life. I read this. Um, this was in, um, you know, the, the Bible in one year um, app and um, thing that you can do is produced by HTB to look at the Bible in one year. And John t- mentioned it in a talk the other week. Back in June, I think it was, there was a story in that that Nicky Gumbel, the guy who, who writes those notes, shared about, about a guy called Stephen Lungu. And um, Stephen, it says, was, he said, is the oldest son of a teenage mother from a township in Zimbabwe. And um, his mum was married, tra- trapped in a difficult marriage to a man more than 20 years her senior. And she dealt with her struggles by drinking heavily. One day, when Stephen was three years old, his mother took him and his siblings into town. And she said that she needed to go to the toilet, but she never returned when he was three. By the age of 11, he was living in the streets and part of a violent street gang. One day when a traveling evangelist came to town to speak to thousands of people about Jesus in a large tent, Stephen went to firebomb the event. He carried a bag full of bombs and he wanted to attack the event because he wanted to attack God. As Stephen awaited the moment for his attack, um, the evangelist took to the stage and announced that the Holy Spirit had warned him that many in the audience may die soon without Christ. Um, Stephen was astonished, and and people in his gang were too. They thought that somebody had figured out their plan, but he became captivated by what the preacher said. The speaker's words convinced him about his own sins, and drew him into an encounter with Jesus. He experienced God's presence, the Holy Spirit, and he heard about God's grace and peace. Stephen staggered forwards to the stage, grabbed hold of the speaker's feet, and began to sob. And that evening, he became a follower of Jesus. The next morning, he presented himself at the local police station to confess his crimes. The desk sergeant looked at the long charge sheet, listened to his story, and released him. Boarding a bus with the morning commuters, Stephen felt so happy that he was compelled to tell others on the bus the good news. And ever since, he's been telling people about Jesus. He's now a full-time evangelist in Africa, speaking at many events. And at an event a few years ago, an old lady came forward wanting to follow Jesus. And that, that woman turned out to be his mum, who had abandoned him all those years ago. Stephen says to himself, because I look at myself as a miracle of God's grace, so I believe that the power of Jesus Christ to save sinners still exists. If he can change me, he can change anyone, he says. Stephen was given a new heart in a moment, but that transforming steadfast power of the Holy Spirit worked its way from the inside out and bore fruit in his life over a period of years and still does today, apparently. What a cool story. So, before we go, how, how might we apply this message to our lives? I think for some of us, our prayer today is David's prayer. Would you restore to me the joy of my salvation? And would you grant me a willing spirit to sustain me? You know, it might be for many of us here, we're followers of Jesus. Um, we've, we trusted him to make us clean on the inside years ago. But it may be that there are areas of our lives where we know, if we're honest with ourselves, that our life does not match up to the life that we're called to. 
it's like the cleaning on the inside is still you know, working its way out to the surface, a bit like my crusty toenail. You know, it might be an area of your life, perhaps your finances. It might be um, a particular relationship. It might be um, a, an aspect of your personality. Perhaps, you know, you've just got this sort of cynicism that you just can't get rid of or something else like that. And it may be that today one of those areas is for you an area to repent. And as I say, it doesn't need to be a massive emotional, dramatic moment. It simply needs to be a sincere and a heartfelt desire to turn from one thing and towards another. For others, as we pray those words, would you restore to me the joy of my salvation? It might be that we have this desire for that message of the good news of Jesus to spill out of us. Um, it might be that, you know, perhaps you're a new believer and you would like to, to receive from God um, the faith and the wisdom to know how to share your story with other people. Or it might be, again, that you've been following Jesus for many years and really you realize that you need a fresh anointing for that joy to spill out of you in the way that it once did, perhaps years ago. But for some of us, or for some of you here today, I wonder if... If today is the, is the day for you to ask God to create a new heart in you for the first time. You know, it might be that you, you, perhaps you've been on a, on a journey of exploring faith. And um, this cry for a clean heart, a new start, is something that you know you need in your life. It might be, you know, it's not that necessarily, you know, you're a terrible person or anything like that. But, but like all of us, you know that you're not, that you're not perfect. There's a difference between you know, the outside version of you that the world sees and the version of you that's inside. And you realize, and you've come to realize, that there's something that needs fixing that you can't do in your own strength. It needs divine intervention. It may be that, you know, you've heard all this before, but perhaps it's never really sunk in today. And this is the first time that you're hearing that that clean purity, that righteousness from God it's something that, that, that you can't earn. You can only receive it through placing your trust in Jesus. Who died, who took it, the sins of all of us on himself so that we might be forgiven and cleansed and purified from the inside out. And today is the day for you to take a step of faith and place your trust in Jesus for the first time. So, Different ones of us will have different things to pray, but, but I think that would be a good place to start, to, to start by praying that God would create in us a new heart. So why don't we, if you're able, why don't we stand together?